Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So again, turn with me to Psalm 130. Beginning in verse 1, and the word of the Lord reads, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Waiting on God. I spent a lot of time talking about that very subject this week um, in our devotion, this idea of waiting on God. Because that's where we are right now, in this moment. That's where we are. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to be here or not, whether we want to do it or not, we are waiting. We're waiting for things to get back to normal. We are waiting things for get, to get back to business. We are waiting for the ability for us to just go sit down at a restaurant somewhere and have a meal. We're waiting. But the problem is we absolutely hate it. We hate to wait. As I said yesterday, if there's anything in the world that we as people do, even as Christians, is that we don't want to wait. Even now, even in the midst of this forced slowdown where we have to wait. Even now, if you go to McDonald's through the drive-thru and you order your Egg McMuffin and that thing is not ready in two and a half minutes, you're irritated. Why? Because you don't want to wait. How about now with Amazon Prime? Everything's delayed. You know, we bought Prime and paid the 99 bucks. Why? Because you want it in two days. And now everything's delayed because of the pandemic and we're like frustrated watching for the UPS truck because we don't want to wait. When you call someone and they don't answer the phone and if they don't immediately text you saying, can I call you back? You are frustrated. Like, what's going on? Are they ignoring me? Why? Because you don't want to wait to talk to them. You don't want to wait for the information that, that, that you think that they have. Even right now, even in this world right now, we're being forced to wait. We don't want to because it's just simply who we are. We as a people, we want it all right now. We want it in this moment. We want food now. We want to, to hear. We, we, we want a new car now. We want all of our kids back in school now. We want that stimulus check now. But we want it all now. In fact, we want more and more. How many channels do you have on cable? How many movies do you have access to with Amazon Prime and Netflix and all the other stations that you're, you're connected to? We want it now. On demand. We don't want to wait. And our impatience and our inability to wait affects everything in our lives, including our relationships. We struggle to wait 
inner relationships. Nobody wants to wait until they're married to have sex. Nobody wants to wait until they're married to live together. Nobody wants to wait until they're married to have children. In spite of what God clearly teaches us about these things, in spite of what God clearly says in his word about these things, even as Christians struggle with these things. Why? Because we don't want to wait. We want to satisfy our desires right now. We want to enjoy the feelings now. We want to fill our hearts up now. We want all of it now, the benefits now, even when it comes to resolving conflict. People don't want to wait for anything. There is a time when a friend of mine was oblivious to the fact that they'd offended someone. They were oblivious to the fact that they'd said something that hurt somebody's feelings. And I told them, I said, hey, just want you to know, like you are, you know, you act like a jerk. I said, but here's the thing. Before you go talk to them, pray about this. Let this cool down a little bit. Give it a few days. And then when, when the time is right, go talk to them. But they couldn't do that. Why? Because they couldn't handle the pressure of somebody being mad at them or not liking them. They couldn't take it. They needed to fix things right now in the moment. They, the, the urge was so strong that they had to go to the person today and then actually make it worse. It happens all the time, especially with couples. When couples fight, invariably someone wants to resolve everything right now. And the reason why I know that this is to be true is because that's me. I know when Kim and I get into an argument, I usually make things worse because I want to resolve it all right now. I want things to be back to normal. I want things, I want the tension in the house to, to, to go back to zero. I want to force things to go back to normal. But Kim is not like me at all. She, when she gets upset, she needs time to process the information. She needs time to get over it. She needs time to let her emotions cool down. She needs time to think. But me, right? I want to talk about it. I want to settle it right now. Why? Because I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait for things to calm down. I don't want to wait at all. The truth is, we are so very, very impatient. And I said we, because that includes me. It seems that it's just part of who we are. We just hate to wait. In fact, we hate waiting so much, we find ways to overcome the negative feelings of waiting all the time. Anytime you see people who go somewhere together, whether they're in the car or they're sitting at a table somewhere, and there's a little bit of a lull in the conversation, what's the first thing that happens? People pull out their devices and they reoccupy their minds. Because they're uncomfortable with the silence. They are uncomfortable with just being still. They are uncomfortable with waiting even just for a couple of minutes. No one is, is having a conversation anymore, it seems. It seems like nobody's talking anymore. You go to the place to get your oil changed and the room's full of people and no one has a word to say to one another. No one passes the time engaging in dialogue with other people around them. Instead, we unplug from the world around us. And we put our faces into a screen. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm just as guilty as everyone on this. Right? When you drive anywhere with your family, what is everybody in the car doing? They're not talking. They're not having conversations. 
They're not catching up on things from, from the week. No, their headphones are in their ears, their face is in a screen, and they're playing games, they're watching TikTok videos, and they're staring at social media. Because, they, because we want to be entertained, because every second of the trip, we want for our minds to be occupied. We don't want to be still. We don't want for our minds to even slow down for, for a millisecond. They just want to be distracted from the uncomfortable feeling of having to wait. Because for some reason, because for some reason, waiting and being still and being quiet and being patient is worse than torture, it seems. We don't want to wait for anything at all. And that's why our economy and our culture is built the way that it is. It's built on debt. Nobody wants to wait enough to save enough money to buy anything. You want a jacuzzi? You don't have to wait. You want a dirt bike? You don't have to wait. Just get a loan. When I was a kid, when the only people who had RVs at the time, the only people who had boats, the only people who had ATVs, the only people who, who had those kinds of things were people who were in their late 30s or older. Why? Because they're the ones who worked long enough to be established enough to be able to afford those things. But now, when people graduate from high school, they think that they should be able to buy a four-bedroom house in the nicest part of the neighborhood, get new cars, jet skis, toy haulers, right? and all the electronics they can stand in brand new wardrobe every six months. Right? Why? Because they think they deserve it. That's what they think. There's no such thing as sacrifice. There's no such thing as patience anymore. There's no such thing as even delayed gratification. And that's why there's so much consumer debt in our culture, because nobody, nobody, nobody wants to wait. There's nothing in us that wants to wait in any part of our lives. We are just so impatient. We don't want to wait for anything, including God. When we pray, we want an answer now. When, we, when we're in trouble, we need God to solve our problem. We want him to do it now. When the circumstances are hard and, and things are dire, we want God to rescue us now. We don't want to wait for God. We, we want God to act now. And if he doesn't act now, then we'll act on our own. But here's the thing. The thing that we must come to terms with, the things that we must own, the things that we talked about yesterday, is that God has designed us. He has created us in such a way that you need to simply wait at times in your life. There are times in your life you're just going to have to wait. But more importantly, God has designed you to wait on him. We were created to wait on him. You see, he created us and designed us in a way that to know him best and to be closest to him only happens when we wait on him. And that, that is the truth. When we wait on God for his guidance, when we wait on God for his plan, when we wait on him to speak to us, God has designed us to wait patiently on him. It's an indispensable part of the Christian life. Understand that. God has designed us in such a way that we absolutely need to wait for him. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. I don't know how much more clear it needs to be than that. 
But how about Psalm 27, 13, and 14? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 62, verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells us to wait. In fact, the word wait, or a derivative of the word wait, like waiting, occurs somewhere between 140 and 160 times in the Bible, depending on the translation that you use. Now, what I understand about the Bible and what I understand about God is this, that when you see a theme that is repeated over and over and over again in the Bible, it's a sign of, that it's something really, really important. I mean, I mean, think about this. There are certain things that were told by God in the Bible to do over and over again. Things that were commanded to do over and over again. The Bible says that we are, we are commanded to, to believe or to have faith. Over and over again, we're called to repent. I mean, we know, right, what the Bible tells us, that we are to repent and believe. And not just one time, but to live a life of repentance and faith. Over and over again, we're told that and we're also told to worship God and Him alone. We're told, to repeated, we're told repeatedly to love others. That means other Christians. That means other, that other people like our neighbors and even the people who we don't like, like our enemies. Loving people is a repeated theme in the Bible. And so is putting others before ourselves and, and forgiving others, even when it's hard. The Bible repeatedly makes it clear that if we follow Christ, we're to forgive people the way that we've been forgiven Again, it's a repeated theme. And so is prayer. Over and over again, the Bible encourages us, commands us to pray. We are to pray at all times and pray about everything. It's a repeated theme. And waiting on God is one of those important issues like that. It's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. It's one of the most, one of the most often repeated themes from the very beginning to the end. It's a constant theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. And the reason for that is because we were designed to wait on God. Now, why is that? Why were we designed to wait on God? Well, this is the reason why theology is important, right? The reason why is found in what we understand about God. It's, it's found in what we know about Him. Everything that we know about our faith, about our life, and who we are ultimately is rooted in our understanding of God. It must be rooted in what we know about Him and ourselves. That is why one of the themes that we, have, we talk about here at church all the time is that theology matters. If there's something you hear me say over and over again, it's going to be that. Theology matters. In fact, I say it so often, my wife at G3 brought me a t-shirt that says that. You know, It does. Your theology matters. We need to have a foundational understanding on which we build everything else. We need an understanding of God and faith that acts as the lens by which we see the entire world around us, the entire worldview that we have, and every other part of our life must be built on a foundational, robust understanding of God, which means the answer to the question of why we're designed to wait on God is anchored, really, to our theology. It's anchored to what we know about God and what we know about ourselves in light of who God is. And so the question, like every other one, this question is one of theology. So let's look at the theology of why we wait. And it begins with what we understand about who God is. And the first thing that we come to terms with is we understand that God is holy. He is completely holy, which means he's different than us, that he is unlike us. Isaiah 55 says what? As God himself says, for my thoughts are high. 
are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is completely different than us. He's completely righteous. He's completely just. He's completely powerful. He is all-knowing, all-wise. He is both outside of the vast expanse of this entire universe and simultaneously everywhere present within the universe. God is by nature different than us. By definition, He's greater than our imagination. He is completely holy. Second, not only holy, but He's sovereign and in control. God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Psalm chapter 1 Psalm 115 verse 3 reads Our God is in the heavens he does all that he pleases God is completely in control and number 3 God is good Over and over we read in the Bible as the psalmist tells us give thanks to the Lord for he is what good his steadfast love endures forever God is completely good. In fact, the idea of what good is is only good because it's rooted in the, ca- the character and the nature of God himself. Good is good because God is good. He's what defines what is good. And because he's good, he loves us. And he is gracious and good to us, even to those who don't even believe in him. If you've been listening to the devotions, you know that. That God is good to everyone. He sends the sun and the, and the rain on the just and the unjust. God is also, number four, all-knowing. The psalmist says in 147 verse 5, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth, ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God knows everything, the past, the present, the future. God knows the the positions of every molecule within inside of the universe. There isn't anything that God does not fully know. And then number five, God, as we've talked about so many times, works for the good of those who love him. It's a promise. Romans 8, 28. And we know, we are confident, we believe, not just because we know because we think or wish. It is we know it for a fact That those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God takes even the worst parts of our lives and works them out for our good. God is holy, sovereign, good, all-knowing, and he works for the good of those who follow him. But then what about us? In light of what we know about him, what do we know about about who we are? Well, number one, we know that we're not holy. Because we're not I mean, we, we, we seek for personal holiness, and we should. That's part of the Christian life, right? And we sh- should certainly seek to be set apart and different from the world. But let's be honest, we're still humans. We are still prone to temptation and sin. We are all still very frail. And we can, and we do, and we will fail at times. And all of us, by nature, are finite. 
We're not holy. We're actually quite common. That's why Paul says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We are by nature not holy. Number two, we're not sovereign. Not even a little bit. We're not in control. This is another theme that we talk about over and over again. It's something we have to come to terms with. I don't care. We don't even have to cite a Bible verse to, to make this point. We know that we're not in control. You're not in control of anything. Not of the weather, not of the economy, not of COVID-19, not even of your children. You can't even control whether or not tomorrow you're going to wake up. That is completely to the discretion of God himself. We are not sovereign and not even close to that. Number three, we're not good. I mean, we like to pretend that we are. In fact, that's probably one of the greatest lies that, that the culture tells everyone else. People are just born naturally good. You're a good person. He's such a good person. I'm a good person. God wouldn't send me to hell because I'm a good person. We're not good. Let's face it, we're not. But my heart tells me I'm good. Well, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We're by the nature, our nature, not good. And then Paul even then drives the points home in, in, in verse, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. It's a pretty universal statement. So we're not good. And then number four, we're not all-knowing. I don't have to really, really tell you that, right? You know how I know that you're not all-knowing? Because you don't have a hoard of toilet paper and Lysol wipes and hand sanitizer at your house. right? Because if you knew that, then you'd be prepared for this. None of us saw this coming. None of us did. I mean, none of us knew that in February, would we even imagine in February that we would not have an Easter service here in this church? That we would not have a sunrise service? None of us knew that. And that's just the easy stuff. That is just the stuff that happens around us. What about the hard stuff, like the hypostatic union? Some of you might know what that is. Right? What about the definition of metaphysics? How about that one? Or how about what, what's a Higgs boson? I know David Larson knows what that is, but what about what about the, what, what the problem of matter? You know, when when it when matter uh, is observed at the quantum level, when it when it falls apart and it's neither a wave nor um, you know a particle. Right? Or how about you men? Right? How about understanding women? Right? I promise you, you don't know that. The fact of the matter is, is we all know that we don't know everything. We understand that knowledge is limited. And, and if you think that you know everything, then by all means, send me your phone number. I've got a lot of kids in this community and parents who would like for you to talk to their kids and help them with their homework. Right. We're not all-knowing. And number five, we don't always work things out for our own good, no matter how hard we try, right? The Bible tells us that there, is, there are just a way that seems right to a man, but, but it, the end leads to death. We don't always work things out for our own good. I mean, we've all made lots of decisions in our lives that we thought were good decisions, only to find out that it was a disaster. We've all been there. In fact, some of the worst things that have ever happened in your own life are your fault by your own decisions. So then why are we designed to wait on God because we're not holy, we're not sovereign, we're not good, we're not all-knowing, and we don't make the best choices. I mean, think about this. God is holy, we're not. He is sovereign, 
We are not. He's good and we are not. He's all-knowing and we are not. And he always works for our best interests, but we don't. You see, we're designed to wait on God because God is everything that we are not. God is everything we are not. And because of that, and because he is everything we're not, we are completely, 100%, totally dependent upon him for everything, including the next breath you take. That's one of the things I think if you, that would change your whole life if you just came to terms that the very next breath you take, God has allowed you to have. It's a gift from him. And the next one, and the next one. You're dependent upon God for everything. That's just who he is. And that's just who we are. So theologically speaking, we were designed to wait on God because he is everything we need. I want you to just let that sink in. Let that soak into your brain, all the way down into your heart. God is everything, everything, everything that you need. He gives us life. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows he's the one that gives you wisdom and strength and hope. He knows what's best for you. He provides every need that you have. He's even the one who makes a way for you to be saved. And, and if that wasn't enough, he grants you the faith and the repentance so that you can be saved. We are wholly, totally dependent upon God. That is why we were designed to wait on him. That is why waiting on God and learning to wait on him is ultimately what's good for us. In fact, waiting on God, I don't know if you realize, is a spiritual discipline. Just as much as reading the Bible, just as much as prayer, just as much as fellowship, just as much as, just as, much as anything else we do spiritually, waiting on God is a discipline that helps us to grow towards spiritual maturity. Waiting on his counsel, waiting on his timing, waiting on his wisdom, waiting for him to work in our lives. Right? And it's important for many reasons. In fact, let me just share four with you. I touched on them yesterday. Waiting on God number one, demonstrates that we acknowledge our dependence upon him. It is an expression of our submission to his sovereignty. It's an expression of our submission to his authority and his indispensability. Micah 7 verse 7 says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Waiting on God acknowledges the truth of your need for him. It, it acknowledges the dependence that you have upon him. Waiting on God says, Lord, you are the king. I need you. And I'm at your disposal. Actually, waiting on God is a form of worship, which leads to number two. Waiting on God ultimately, when we wait for him willingly, demonstrates the value of God in our lives. That's what worship is. It's expressing God's value. His, his worth to us. When we wait for him, we're saying, Lord, you and you alone are worthy. You are valuable to us. Psalm chapter 62, verse 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Waiting on God demonstrates through our actions that, Lord, you are worth the wait. Lord, I'm waiting on you. Even though I want this situation in my life to change now. Even though I want that job now. Even though I want my relationship issues to be fixed now. Even though I want my kids back in school now. Lord, I'm waiting on you. 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait on you because, Lord, you are more important to me than anything else. What you want for my life is important to me. What glorifies you in my life is important to me. So I'm going to wait on you. So I'll worship you by waiting on you. Waiting demonstrates our dependence on God, and it demonstrates the value of God. And number three, waiting on God changes us. It's one of the ways that God uses to change us. Maybe making, making us wait is an important way that God shapes us. When we wait on God, finally, we have a time to slow down. We have time to reflect and think. Read the word, meditate, contemplate, sometimes even dream and hope. When we wait on God, we have enough time to come into his presence and just sit there allowing him to heal our hearts as we pray and, and meditate. It allows him to change our minds about our situation and the world around us and even who we are as people. Waiting on God helps us to become transformed. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. The truth of the matter is, it's hard to be transformed when you're always hustling. It's hard to have your mind changed when you're constantly in motion. It's hard to be changed when, when your thoughts are chaotic and overwhelmed and stressed out. Sometimes we just need to stop. Sometimes we need to slow down and reflect. Sometimes we need the downtime. Sometimes we need to, to get quiet and alone with God. Sometimes we just need to sit quietly meditating on God's word and allowing the truths about who he is to soak into our hearts. Sometimes we just need to slow down long enough for God to move and shape us. Isn't that our prayer, to be shaped more and more in the image of Christ? Waiting on God is good for us because it changes us. And then number four, waiting on God is, is actually in our best interest. Sometimes we get in such a big hurry. Sometimes we are so worried that we're going to miss out on something that, 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 that when we wait, right, that, that we, we don't want to wait and we miss the opportunity. Right? It's, it's, it's when we wait on God that we can hear his still small voice. Sometimes when we wait, we also avoid horrible, disastrous consequences. And I think we have a practical illustration of that is, is, is the times when we are in such a hurry to do something or go somewhere. And we're ready to leave, but there's somebody in the household who is holding you up and, and making you late. And you're irritated and frustrated. And, and your day is ruined. And you're just like, just so upset about it. And then as you drive, you realize there's a horrible accident. And, and then you think to yourself, if we'd have left on time, we'd have been right in the middle of that. It's the same kind of thing spiritually speaking. Sometimes you have a direction you want to go. There's something that you want desperately. You want God to do. God, I want that job. I, I want to buy that house. I want to take advantage of this opportunity. I, I just want to buy those things because they're on sale and they'll never be on sale again as if that actually happens. But then something keeps getting in the way of that. And then you're forced to wait. And then a day later or a week later or even maybe even 10 years later, you look back and you realize not getting what you wanted in the moment was what was best for you. That waiting saved you time. It saved you money. It saved you grief. It saved you heartache and even distance in your relationship with God. What we need to do is we need to take a step back and willingly wait on God and allow him to direct us because waiting on him is in our best interest. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And that's just a simple truth. Waiting on God's in our best interest because God's the one in control anyway. <laughs> Whatever illusion of control you have is just that. It's an illusion. And he is good and he is all-knowing and he works all things out for the good of those who follow him. That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Waiting on God is always in your best interest. Now with that, now that we know that, the question is then, what does it mean to wait on God? I mean, what do we do with that? What does it look like? And, and that's a really good question. Because, I mean, oftentimes we read the Bible and we say, we know what we need to do, but how? Like, what's the application here? Right? And this is an important question because I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand what this idea of waiting on God means. Like, you know, that person you know who needs a job, but they don't go looking for a job because they're saying, well, I'm just waiting on God to provide for me a job. I'm just waiting on God. If he wants me to have a job, he'll help me have it. No, you still need to go out and look for a job, right? That's part of the process. Or how about when, when you know that you need to do something, like forgive somebody, but you don't, and you're just like, ah, I'm just waiting on God. I, I know what I need to do. I need to get over it. I need to forgive, but I'm just, I'm just waiting on, I'm just waiting on God. Or, or that when you need to make a, a hard decision, and it's not like the decision is something that you don't know you need to make. You know what you need to do. You know what the answer is, right? You know what needs to be done, but you're procrastinating, right? Well, I'm just waiting on God. I'm waiting on God to move, to show me the way. Even though you know clearly what the way is, even though the word of God makes it really clear what you need to do. That's not waiting on God. That's not what we're talking about. It's just making excuses. What we're talking about here is something completely different. In fact, this is such a big subject. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks actually unpacking this and walking through what it means to wait on God in the different contexts of our, our life. Especially now, since we are forced to wait. This is a good time to talk about these things. We're in an unprecedented time, as we've been told over and over again. How many times have you heard, we're in unprecedented times? Like, it's like every newscast. So we are in unprecedented times, and it's a good time for us to, to work through these things. And today, what we've talked about is, is kind of like the introduction to this larger conversation. We're just kind of laying the groundwork for the next couple of weeks. The idea that we were designed to wait on God, and, and the theology of who God is and who we are is going to be the foundation for us to have bigger, important conversations about, about life and faith. Waiting on God when life changes is something we need to talk about. Because as you're fully aware right now in this moment, that life changes and it changes really, really, really fast. I mean, if there's anything that we've become convinced of, it's that. None of us look back three months ago and would have imagined where we are today. We also are going to talk about waiting on God when things hurt, when we're in, in pain. Because if there's one of the greatest challenges that in life that we can face is, is how to wait on God when things are hard, when, when you're experiencing very real emotional or physical pain? How do you wait on God when it seems like he's not even there to help? There, there are those times when, when you go through different trials in your life 
and it, you think to yourself, where is God? Because there are times that it doesn't feel like he's there, that he's nowhere to be found. And, and so you're tempted in those times to walk in your emotions and feelings and make all your own choices and decisions without his help, not waiting on him. But it's in those times we need to wait on him the most. And we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the big question. I think today's context really like has brought the big question to the forefront. We're going to talk about waiting on God to finally return. Because when things, big things happen, there's always a lot of speculation, right? Because that's what we're really hoping for, right? Isn't that what we're hoping for? We're hoping for Christ to come back and to make all things right. That is what we're hoping for. So what does that look like to wait for that? I mean, does, does it mean we just sit around waiting for, as the world goes to hell in a handbasket? We're just waiting for God to return? Right? Or, or, or is waiting for Christ something else than that? Does it mean, what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be, to be waiting for Jesus to come back? And so those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. And, and I want to encourage you, you know, to, to, to listen to every message. But today I want to wrap up with an exhortation. I want to encourage you. You see, what we understand about God is that he is completely sovereign. And what that means, if we're going to really like live in our theology, is we need to understand that we are here right now in the situation that we're in because it is God's plan and God's will for us to be here. And that is the truth that we need to hold on to and understand. Right? The question we need to answer then is, is what is God saying to us through this? What is the purpose of this? What does he want us to learn? Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, we believe that God sends all pestilences and that he sends them with a purpose. It is our business as ministers of the gospel, the ministers of God, to call the people's attention to God in the disease and teach them the lessons which God would have them learn. What is God trying to tell us now? I think that's really something we should reflect on. My wife Kim, you know, one day said, maybe God has orchestrated this as a hard reset to actually allow us to slow down and really reevaluate our lives and, and, and really come to terms with what's important. I think one of the most insightful things I've ever learned. I, I mean, think about this. We are so impatient, right? And we're all so uptight. And we all want it all right now. And we can't stand silence. So we can't stand to wait, right? And because of that, We've become disconnected in a world that's full of connections. We've become, in essence, disconnected from, from everything and everyone around us in some respects. We, we think that we're more connected because we have all these technological links, but we're really not any more connected. We just become so super busy. We've been consumed with activities and stuff. But we don't even have the time, it seems, for families. I had one friend of mine say, I am spending more time with my kids than I ever have. I said, there's your problem. We don't have time for our families. We don't have time for God. That's why, by the way, I wrote the book Distracted is because, because I wanted to point out the fact that we are allowing everything around us to consume us. Right? 
I started working on it over two years ago, by the way. That's, that's how urgent this has been. Maybe this is our time that God has given us. Maybe this is the time God has given us to get our heads right. Maybe this is a gift from God to force us to reevaluate where we are and what we're doing personally with our jobs and even with our ministries. Maybe he has slowed down the world enough so that our heads will be clear and our hearts will be clear so that we can hear his still small voice and so I think, that, I think all of us now, now that we have more time, we need to, to, to make a point to actively wait on God. And I think it begins in our daily devotional life, taking time daily to get alone with God and wait on God. If there's something that I talk about all the time, this is one of those things. Because if there's anything we need right now, it's this. We need to spend more time with God. You need to spend more of that newfound time that you have with God. Now that you have the opportunity, sharpen your devotional time with Him by waiting on Him. Now for some of you, this is an opportunity for you to actually begin a devotional time. You don't have one. Well, there's no better time than now. It's actually a great time to begin a new habit. And what I mean by devotional time is I'm talking about spending time in the Word. You're not going to know God unless you're in the Word. And then you also need to spend time with God in prayer. Not just weekly, not monthly, but, but, but daily. Right? And what we need to realize about prayer is the most underutilized tool in the Christian's arsenal. It's the most underutilized gift in the Christian's arsenal. Christians are, are want, they want all the gifts, but this is a gift that God has given us that we sometimes just forget to use. That God, by the work of the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit, has given us the ability to stand in His presence and talk to Him anytime we want to for any reason. And if you don't have a regular time in prayer, now is the perfect time to begin that habit. These are the things that, you know, I talk about all the time. In fact, I think these are the things that, 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 that we all should focus on every day. We know that we need to do these things. Every Christian I know that need, knows they need to do them. So this is the perfect time to stop making excuses and incorporate these things into our personal daily lives. But in addition to these things, we need to develop some quiet time daily. Time where we're just sitting and waiting and listening where we're quietly meditating on the word, quietly waiting for God to move our spirit, quietly waiting for God to clear our minds, right? where we say, Lord, you know what's going on in my life? You know what's happening? You know what I need? You know how consumed I can be? You know how anxious I feel? I want to stop being so busy. What I need right now, Lord, is to sit here and quietly wait on you. I just need to sit here and be patient. I just need to sit here and be vulnerable in your presence. I just need to wait for you to speak to me. Now, I might not ever hear your voice audibly, Lord, but I'm going to wait for you to move me. And maybe you don't move me today. That's okay. 
Maybe you don't stir my spirit today. That's okay. But I'm going to sit here nonetheless and wait for you anyway because you are valuable to me. You are worth that, Lord. Lord, I am dependent upon you and I value you. And I know that when I wait on you, that you will eventually change me. I know that waiting on you is in my best interest. So I'm going to sit here today. I'm going to clear my head. I'm going to wait here in silence. Five minutes or maybe 10 minutes or however how long. Because God is, is worth my undivided attention. You're worth it. You need to have that kind of waiting time. Psalm 62 verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. We need that kind of time with God where we stop. We get quiet clear our heads and wait on God. Not weekly, not monthly, but daily. And let me tell you, right? If you will do this, it will change your life. Even the fire department agrees with that. <laughs> we'll just let that kind of clear away a little bit. <laughs> hmm the fact of the matter is, if you do this, it will help you think clearer and you will feel more connected to God. And if nothing else, it will re reinforce the fact that you're dependent upon Him. Right? You have nothing to lose but to try this. And so here's what I want you to do. I would ask you, as, a, as our church family, wherever you are, to take a little time every day for the next four weeks Take a little time every day for the next four weeks and get alone with God during your, during your devotional time, right? And then just be still, right? Certainly spend some time in the Word. You need that. Spend some time in prayer, but then take a few minutes and just sit there quietly waiting on God, right? And just start with five minutes. Five minutes is not a long time, but I promise if you start sitting and being still in the world that we live in, it's going to feel like an eternity, right? But you can do it. Let's start with five minutes, and then as you can, wait a little longer. Stick with it. Commit to five minutes a day in your devotional time with God waiting for the next four weeks. That's all I'm asking. And then just watch what God does in your life. Watch what God does in your heart. Waiting on God is good for us because it shows that we depend upon Him. It shows that we value Him. It changes us, and ultimately, it's in our best interest and so there's not any reason for you not to do it. And guess what? <laughs> You've got the time, as we all do. Let me remind you what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, if the Lord makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It, it tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been awaiting people. Let us then be Lord, the Lord's waiting people in this changing world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm going to be the first one to say, this is an area I have deep struggles with. I struggle to wait. I struggle in my own life because I 
because of what I do. I feel like I'm making time for you, that I'm in the word, that I'm praying for people, that I am that I'm preparing messages, that I'm doing daily devotions. It's easy for me to feel like I am spending time with you. But Lord, help me to protect my time, my alone time with you. It's just for me. And help me, Lord God, to wait in silence waiting for you. Help us, Lord, to make this a spiritual discipline in all of our lives. Help us, Lord, to be comfortable waiting, especially on you. Help us to be comfortable in the silence. Help us to be comfortable in those moments when activity ceases, Lord, especially when we can stand in your presence. Help us, Lord, to value you so much that, that this is a priority in our life, that we say that we love God above all else, then let us live it out and act this way, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to apply this to our lives. Help us to wait for you. Whether we're in pain, whether we're in in deep frustration over the things that are happening around us, whether, whether it just seems like we can never sit still. Help us, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you would do that for our entire church family. And I pray, Father, that you would, you would unite all of our hearts in this and that your church family would grow more and more in love with you through this and that you would help us to also grow in our desire to share the hope of Christ with the rest of the world because that's what we need. All of us needs more Jesus. And that's what the rest of the world needs too is Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would raise up a people that are in your church who are spread out all over the place that would go out into the world, storm the gates of hell for your glory. We give you all the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You were loved, you were prayed for, and you were deeply missed. We hope to see you soon. Grace and peace. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. 
Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.